Welcome to Stepside with Joel Johnson and me, Matt Howie. Each week we talk about truck news, truck-related items, our favorite trucks, everything trucks. Trucks, trucks, trucks. Let's go. It's truck Trucktober June the 3rd, Woo. 2022. We're back for episode six of the Stepside Podcast, a podcast that is ostensibly about trucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're uh, mildly sick, so I'm going to bring lots of energy, and then you're yeah. going to sound like a jerk for not laughing at my jokes. I'm going to catch up. Uh, huge news and actual huge news. Uh, yesterday, I'm going to start be. Uh, there's a bunch of people that wrote about this in the car world. I'm going to be reading some stuff from Mac Hogan's article on Road and Track. But the headline is Ford is going 100% online fixed price sales for EVs. So if you recall, a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, Ford announced that they were going to be splitting effectively into two companies, right? So like old Ford, all your ICE uh, trucks and Mustangs. I was wondering how they got around the dealer laws. And and so, and then there was Ford Blue, which didn't make much sense to me. And and, although I didn't think about it, to be honest, I was like, well, all right, fine. Well, this is the other shoe uh, that was going to drop. Uh, So... Jim Farley, CEO of Ford, uh, is quoted as saying, uh, apparently in a USA Today article, I think is where a lot of it broke, uh, that we've got to go to non-negotiated price, quote from Mm -hmm. Farley. We've got to go 100% online. Uh, There's no inventory at dealership. It goes directly to customers and 100% remote pickup and delivery. This... Like I'm not, I'm trying to, I'm trying to hesitate from like sounding like a, like a obnoxious shock jock kind of tone, but like... (laughs) This like could not be bigger news from a business standpoint. Yeah. So from my take, Ford's been killing it. They already made really bold decisions about the fact that they're going to kill every car but the Mustang. They've gotten the F-150 Lightning across the line, the first real like yeah. you know EV truck. No, you know, no offense to Rivian, but like as far as from an existing uh, automaker, uh, their sales are backed up, and they had said on the Lightning in particular to their dealer networks that if you guys mark this stuff up, like there's going to be some consequence. Yeah, yeah. Well, the consequence is they're gonna upend the entire American <laughs> auto industry. And I gotta say, like, uh, I have no relationship with Ford, never worked with Ford, uh, do have friends at Ford. Like, this company is like killing it and doing some of the most interesting, bold stuff that I think is happening, out, even outside of cars and trucks, but just in like, business because effectively what this means is uh the the way the auto industry works and a lot of people i think have a general sense of this because of their opinions about car dealerships is that ford doesn't own car dealerships car dealers own car dealerships so ford is a manufacturer they're an oem they make the vehicles they sell them to the car dealers and the car dealers sell them to customers What has tried to happen for the last, a couple of times in the last hundred years is car companies have tried to effectively break up the dealer. uh, Stranglehold? Yeah, it's like, I'm like, don't say dealer mafia. I'm sure there's good dealers out there. And there are, there are a handful, but like by and large, they're they're not great. Uh, So uh, Tesla, obviously, as like the kind of most successful new car company of the generation, has no dealerships. They only do direct sales. They had to fight uh, state by state to be allowed to do it. And the people fighting them were car dealership uh, lobbyist groups. And then if you recall in our 
lifetime, Saturn from GM was initially yes. all uh, dealer, like GM owned the dealerships. It was no haggle pricing. And what happened two years in, even though customers loved Saturn, they loved the products, they loved the experience, uh, the dealer networks were basically uh, held GM over a barrel and said, we're not going to sell your cars or we're going to switch brands if you guys keep doing the Saturn thing. Yeah. They shut down Saturn five years later, or they shut down the owned uh, model for, for Saturn. Five years later, Saturn is dead. Yeah. So what they're saying, what Farley is saying in this is effectively... Fuck you, dealers. Fuck you, dealers. <laughs> You guys fucked around and now you're going to, (laughs) we're going to allow, we're going to try to set up a scenario by which you find out, which is not quite as pithy, but it's, it's huge. It's huge. And what, you know, I think some people might look at this and say, well, uh, Ford is going to switch to Tesla's model, which is not an inaccurate read, Yeah, but, um, I mean, it's interesting the the quote in that article that uh, Ford spends about 2000 more per car than Tesla does on distribution. <laughs> like, That's right. I, just, I never thought of all the, not even dealer markup, but just like the transportation and the marketing and the the paperwork and the middlemen and all that other shit. Dealers and dealer networks, there is an argument to be made. This is my opinion, not the opinion of any of the car companies I've ever worked with in the past, but it is. Uh, <laughs> dealers are awful for consumers. In many, uh, especially red states, they're one of the largest, if not the largest, political donors. They have an outsized political influence over our society and country. You know, I'm a a liberal. I'm a left-wing person. Most of those dealer networks are Republican, blah, blah, blah. We probably don't agree about the same stuff. But um, from a consumer standpoint, which is really the, the most universal and defensible standpoint, what the fuck do dealers do for you? Like, what are they doing for you? Like, and yeah. so the fact that Ford is 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 burning the ships and saying, <laughs> yeah. fuck it, like we're gonna go direct to consumer uh is huge. And yeah, I think people ra- I mean, will we'll talk about it, but I don't think the implications yeah. are you know, most people understand how big of implications this could have. Yeah, like uh Ford reminds me of Microsoft, you know, get a new CEO and then start doing bold moves and like they're all pretty good. But you'd I'd have to say the the uh, you know the last three or four launches they've done have been super popular, and you have to pre-order, and then you wait months, and then it shows up at your dealer, and then you have to go through the dealer bullshit. And like I just experienced this with the Maverick. I mean, it was so dumb. I mean, uh, <laughs> the guy that helped me. I mean, all I did I had to do was show up, write a check, drive away, uh, and it maybe took an hour and a half. And they said this is gonna be so fast, gonna be so easy. It still took about an hour and a half. Uh, and the guy had an American Eagle holding an American flag on his phone case. It was amazing. <laughs> but uh, And he was just like, you sure you want this truck? Why'd you get such a little truck? <laughs> it was just kind of like, why are you so, uh, you know, lighting yeah. the loafers? Uh, and it was just, yeah, it was weird. I had, to, I had to know the guy's name and deal. It was just so dumb. And I would have rather a truck just dropped it off in my driveway after I did like an electronic payment. to like That would have been exactly the same as what I you know, sat there for 90 minutes going through. And like Ford has been warning their dealer network for like a year. They've been wagging their finger like, we're going to do something if you guys don't stop it. And they just kept, you know, doing big markups on like F-150s and Raptors and stuff. And yeah, I mean, this is There's I mean, been this no better time to be a Ford dealer than the last two years, right? Yeah. Like the, the OEM Ford itself is killing it, launching the most in demand 
trucks and yeah. often the most in-demand products across the, the, the industry. And in this pandemic-led, crazy overpriced, supply-limited <laughs> situation, uh, those Ford dealerships hopefully put a lot of money back because uh, if this goes the way it's going to go, and by this I mean the transition to EVs away from ICE, uh, internal combustion engines, uh, that's it. Like they're done. Like, yeah. um, and I don't have a problem with it. I just don't like, there's a lot of people that I will defend in the auto industry. I will defend mechanics and repair shops and all sorts of stuff. Lots of things that people complain about that have some perfidy and shadiness, but like broadly, it's just, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the best they can. Uh, but dealerships, man, they're no, <laughs> almost never on your side. Uh, they're there to extract, uh, you know, service contracts, charging a bunch of extra stuff. Fuck them. Like, this is super interesting. And the from a business side of things, and then I'll have to stop talking about it because we have more news to get to. And also, I guarantee we'll come back and talk about this in coming weeks. Yeah. But the, so my industry, which is broadly advertising and PR, uh, there was a quote in this that was in my opinion, should have sent shockwaves through the advertising industry. Uh, and I haven't seen people parse this properly yet. Before does another quote in this article uh, from Jim Farley says, if you see Ford Motor Company doing a Super Bowl ad on our electric vehicles, sell the stock. <laughs> yeah. Just like you were talking about, this was in line with the, the idea that Tesla's or Ford spends $2,000 more on distribution. Farley has said, I've, I've seen multiple interviews, they know this is a margin business and they know this is a, a scale business. And in the transition to EV, not just Ford, for every fucking car company, the, the, the next decade is going to be a race to see who can get scale. And yeah, there's going to be luxury. If, if I presume like, you know, of our 10 listeners, like nine of them are like, you know, DevOps people. So like to use phones <laughs> as an example and software as an example, this is Android versus iPhone, except... Like iPhone is a business, iPhone is the clear, you know, tech leader with a giant margin. That will be the premium space within EV, right? That will be mm -hmm. your Porsches and your Mercedes and maybe your very high end trucks. The rest of this is going to be a race for every car manufacturer. And you see VinFast from Vietnam coming in here. You see a lot of European companies dropping US factories just for EVs. It's going to be how do we sell? the $25,000 or $30,000 EV to go grab onto those people. The model will be, we're going to sell them software and upgrades later. I doubt that's going to work to be clear, but that's their, yeah. that's their model. And they're going to make a run for it. And Farley knows and talks about it more transparently than most people do that they can't afford to spend a billion dollars in advertising just to go make a billion dollars in margin. Like these yeah. things are gonna have to sell themselves. People are gonna find out about them through word of mouth and on the internet and the way that people already find these things out. And the car companies that realize up front that that old school advertising especially uh, is not the way to sell these cars is they're already a step ahead. So huge news, hugely fascinating. Uh, we gotta get Jim Farley on the podcast. I know he's been asking <laughs> and it's been a scheduling issue for us. But uh, yeah, dude, I, I'm, just, just going to be crazy. There's going to be class action suits. I feel like dealership, the whole dealership model is like it's holdover from like the 1950s and it's weird. It's like we just, you know, post-war America, we just set up this system where like the dealers kind of owned 
the land and something they got cars at a discount and like that was probably a way for them to expand the 50s and then they sort of uh you know circled the wagons and wrote laws to protect themselves and it's just like it's so far gone it's such a i mean we are 60 70 years later and like what are we doing like this is such an antiquated idea the bike shops are kind of moving away from bike shops copied car dealers and uh they have a dealership model you go exclusive with one brand yeah you know and they give you like a year's worth of bikes for free so they float you like a quarter million dollars of inventory and the bill is due like the next spring um so you sell all your bikes and then you pay your big bill and it's like it's really dumb and there's a there's a tesla and bikes right now called canyon that has like a pro tour team and the tour de france and stuff um they like they just sell stuff to you for like a thousand bucks less than everybody else direct yeah. it just drop ships to your house I mean, it's like you know 90% i'm not a, built. a bicycle great. guy but the the only ev bike that i've looked at at all is the van moves which like yeah. you know I, i've all my bike friends have some you know criticisms of them or whatever but like i just look at it and i'm like it's a decent price they have a dealer network they handle everything for me like seems pretty pretty obvious to me like i don't need to learn anything about it ford has to declare war on their dealers just because evs don't need oil changes or belter placed like you know half of the well, you right. know, a dealer's profit model is half in service usually and that's going to go away so the dealers don't want to sell evs that's how they clearly have acted for the last 10 years uh you know like cadillac dealers are famous for like you want to what you know they try to talk you out of it um so, uh, so it's like, yeah, the dealers know like these EVs are not going to be cash cows for them. The, you know, the manufacturer knows it's a low margin. You know, they're just selling a toaster to people. So yeah, this is this is going to be big. I bet you there's going to be huge class action suits of the dealership mafia versus Ford. Yeah, I would love to hear. Uh, you know, f- feel free to hit up uh, Matt or I on uh, on Twitter. But I would love to hear from anybody that works in the industry that uh, that actually works on the legal side of this i know a handful of people but i'm not going to reach out to them uh because they're probably in the middle of negotiating <laughs> this stuff but uh you know i would love i'd love to hear if anybody thinks that this is going to be uh you know a protracted war or if the and i don't know anything about this but if the the way that the contracts are, are written for the dealerships allow ford to be able to get out of it just by the fact that they're switching all the evs into this ford blue or i may have it reversed i don't remember which is ev and which isn't but um yeah man it's oh it's, ford blue and ford model e so where do you right. order one of these can you do it today or no no they it did just not, see what's ahead yeah they didn't launch with this yet i'm sure they will do like a full uh pr push but you know what's also crazy i God, we can't stop talking about it uh what's you know you know on my short list of trucks the ranger phev the plug-in hybrid is still like at the top of my list of things i think i'll buy you yeah. know, uh, in case, you know, this is presuming I don't have to like sell everything to buy gourd seeds and grow, <laughs> you know, food in my backyard through this depression. But if that comes out, like, you know, that was the truck that made the most sense for me. I, I got to say, it's like now I'm like, do I just wait until I can get a Ford EV? Because like at yeah. least then uh, maybe it'll be cheaper and I'll know what I'm going to buy and I'll be able to have a more humane experience. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I will also, I'm probably uh, going to end up pitching a couple of places that I write for occasionally about this because, yeah, uh, this especially is... in the brand and uh, in advertising world, you know, this is also a shot across the bow of, of, yeah. of that world, which to be clear, uh, 
the advertising world is kind of seeing a lot of these changes coming for a while. But uh, it's like car manufacturers were one of the last big uh, clients, industries that spent a lot of money on traditional brand advertising. And for mm -hmm. the, the, the most progressive, you know, idea-wise, uh, car company CEO to say, yeah, we're not going to do that kind of stuff anymore is also – uh, just giant. It's giant news. So uh, in related news to car companies trying to start and do crazy things, there was a company, a, a Michigan EV startup called Electric Last Mile Solutions. It's another one. If we were if we if we had been around and we were meaner, we could have been doing the EV truck uh, death watch uh, recurring <laughs> uh -oh. segment. Uh, I got to be honest. I'd never even heard of these I'd guys. I never heard of them. Yeah. It, could, it could have also been that their name was Last Mile Solution, which Last Mile is a term of you know industry term talking yeah. about you know delivery stuff basically to people's homes and things like that. But another one goes out. Looks like Canoe is gone. Um, it's really of the of the new breed. Outside of some um, outside of some uh, like middle mile stuff and and trade vehicles and, and stuff like that, it's kind of looking like Rivian's going to be the only one out of this fleet of uh, EV truck startups to actually you know make it. And you know Rivian's yeah. still an open question, but they're well <laughs> capitalized. I think they're in I think they're in good shape. There was a bit of Rivian news uh, that is uh, almost two weeks old, but it was still in my notes, and I just thought it was really funny. Uh, but the headline from the Wall Street Journal, Ryan Felton had a, a piece on May 16th that said, Rivian warns dispute with seat supplier threatens production of Amazon delivery vans. If you recall, uh, Amazon uh, was and is still, I presume, a major investor in Rivian alongside Ford and some other people. Yeah. And the idea for a long time, and they've got prototypes, and, and I think David Tracy even got a chance to see one, uh, wrote about it on the Autopian, that Rivian was building Amazon delivery vans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they look cool. Great. I'm sure that's a big piece. But it's also come out over the coming months at Amazon. Like Rivian's not going to be able to build them fast enough to completely switch over to Amazon. Amazon's got to, have to buy from other people, all yeah. of that stuff. But it's not like a ha ha funny uh, thing, to be clear. But it's like, man, this is just modern manufacturing in a headline. It's like, we can't build these vans because of these seats. We can't get the seats we're trying to <laughs> yeah. buy. And yeah. uh, I, I, to be clear, I don't think Rivian's doing anything wrong here, but it's just like, man, these are so complex and yeah. it's still unclear like how, you know, one little thing can can go missing and it screws up the whole It's funny whole that a Wall Street Journal article elevates what's essentially a con uh, dispute between a contract. It's over a contract that they agreed on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, but it does fuck up the whole timeline. All right, yeah. I think that's it on major news. Uh, there were a few other pieces of uh, of uh, so we'll talk about it at the end of the show. Just some some neat things that uh, articles and things that we I want to send people towards to go read on their own. But I am curious to hear about uh, what you are taking a look at at uh, Overland Expo West. Yeah, since I have like an overlandy vehicle, I always look forward to this. I was going to go to it, but uh, it turned out I did this, this other like. A uh, giant bike tour trip planned the same weekend, so I didn't go to Flagstaff. I have family there, so it would have been easy. Um, but <laughs> Overland Expo is—they have a West and they have an East. I don't think they've had it in the East for a couple years because of COVID. But they kept doing the—I think last year they did a West one in Flagstaff. They're in May, and I think the East one is in—I think September or October. Um, but like all the man, it's like a little mini SEMA just for like 
overland stuff. And so, you know, a hundred manufacturers show up with like, you know, all the pullout table stoves and electric fridges and people making awnings. And there's a million rooftop tent companies. Uh, but I was just, it just happened, uh, near the end of May. And I would say go to YouTube, search Overland Expo 2022 and just watch. There's tons of videos. I'll link them in the show notes, but I mean, there's just some really incredible builds. There were some like a cool, there's a cool like mid seventies seek like uh, square body blazer that someone outfitted as an overlander. There's some international scouts that are fully built up and outfitted. Um, I mean, most of the things are producty, uh, but I actually bought a few things <laughs> after watching videos. That- I mean, it worked on me. Like I was just, I got some plastic cheap, uh, I think they call them plano cases, you know, for the for roof rack to store all my recovery equipment in. And it was like too tall. It was about a foot tall and it was like you know now my car is like seven feet tall starting to bang into like car wash you know like i i actually you know hit some like overhead bar on like a drive-through or something so uh so i saw like you know oh on one of these videos you know there's a high-end manufacturer making these like thin metal cases they're about half the height because the plastic ones have like they're almost like a yeti cooler they have like three inches of you know to give it stiffness yeah plano Uh, cases i believe are uh, or at least when I first saw them years ago, they were largely like rifle cases. Yeah, and so they yeah. had a lot of padding in them. Yeah, and like and the newer ones, the cheaper ones are just like really injection molded, and so you lose like three or four inches on all sides. So they end up being too big. So I saw these like thin metal cases that are like kind of high end. They look a lot better. I bought one. It's like five inches high and like another foot wide, and I can fit more equipment up there. It's like amazing. Like you could fit traction boards inside of a a box it's crazy so who makes the box that you bought um there's a couple manufacturers but the one i got was like z zargis or something like z-a-r-g-e-s i think um and it was pricey but i was like this is exactly what i need it's the same height as my awning now so i'm like stoked and like not gonna bang into (laughs) parking garages in the future or anything like that (laughs) but um yeah i mean i do have to point out if you are driving what you claim is an Overland vehicle, but you can still go through a Wendy's drive-through, is it really an Overland vehicle? <laughs> right. If you're not firing up the stove every time that, you're hungry. That's exactly right. I should be making steak every single time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why did you build it if you're not going to, you know, shoot an elk and then drag it uh, <laughs> back Clean to, it on your tailgate. Camp. That's right. Yeah. And then from the Overland stuff, I saw this. This is insane i just never seen it i guess they've been developing this for a year or two a carbon all carbon fiber hard-sided rooftop tent and they said the first thing the owner said of it was that money was no object like we just wanted to make the lightest most amazing thing and it looks like a high-end design house out of dwell or something and all the sides like click into place it's pretty amazing it's very airy and bright i don't know how you sleep you know i guess there's probably inside covers anyways it costs $20,000 just for the tent. And yeah, I'm like taking a one look at those, this here. It's yeah. Redtail Overland is the company, first of all. And it looks yeah. like it's, it, this is the first thing I think they've really ever made. Yeah. Uh, so, And they launched it, Overland Expo is what you're saying? Uh, yeah, they had, like, it showed up in one of the videos. And I was just like, wow, that thing's amazing. Like, what is the price? Because the guy was just talking about, like, you know, price is no object. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I don't know, 20K is pretty insane. It's a really a nice design. So I'm looking at it right now. It's it's a it's a wedge-style pop-up. Uh, yeah. It's uh, all black, carbon fiber, you know, unpainted or sealed carbon fiber. 
it looks big as shit. Like all of the pictures yeah. they have, like the one of these is on the top of a Ford Expedition and it's like taking up the whole <laughs> truck. Yeah. Uh, but it has, uh, cause I was actually laughing cause I, I have been entertaining the idea of buying a rooftop tent for the 991. Uh, and I was like, just as, cause I'm an idiot. Yeah, and, uh, and I, and I had been looking around for really light ones. And, uh, when you, what was when the you weight on this, it? well, the weight, I don't think is too crazy. That's not my price. It's yeah. 265, 225 for their RT 90, which is a shorter one. Oh. And then 265 for an RT 110. It's still pretty. It's oh, pretty. it's that's spicy for a, for a carbon fiber. Well, it is. It is. It, it, That's a lot. Well, and actually, now if you look, I thought at it was going to be batteries. Like, the ones I, I thought it was going to be like forty pounds because it's you know super airy plastic. The or something. biggest one that has an integrated. So uh, sorry, we, we should we should flesh this out a little bit for our audio listeners since we <laughs> don't have a video version of this podcast. Uh, it basically looks like they have two sizes. They have a, a, a 90, an RT90 and an RT110, uh, like the Defender, get it? And uh, they, they, the, the base model package basically is just the tent, the base camp, they call it. Then there's the Ascent package, which has built-in uh, lithium batteries and LED yeah, lighting solar. and solar panels. Uh, and a fan, which is actually probably the most important thing in there. And then they have a summit wow. package, which is all of the above, plus more battery, more solar panel. More solar. And wow. it looks like propane because there's a gas or some sort of fuel tank. So, uh, oh, there's either, probably a heater. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's a it's a heating unit. Uh, that yeah. one, the fully, the largest, biggest summit package <laughs> one on the RT110, 330 pounds. Uh, and that's probably not without the fuel, but if it's probably, I mean, it looks you know, like a yacht inside. We should be clear. Like it's nice wood. It's very nice. nice. Yeah. But the guy was just opening and closing the side panels. Like it was Lego. Like, you know, you could have the air flying through it or close it up. Like it looks, it looks like it's well built and amazing. I just thought it'd be a lot lighter, uh, for that price, especially. But the other thing that led me to, uh, from this overland things was seeing, a lot of builds with these like integrated campers and like uh i'm sold as this is the most clever engineering solution i've seen in a long time and i kind of regret that Dude, i don't own a ticket i've been saying this because... to you for like five <laughs> i've been saying this for five years to you well yeah this is no, the best design for i all know of this that stuff. you love camper shells yeah yeah, I mean the go. So there's a go fast. There's a couple of companies that do this. Uh, three or four Aluma Cab, Go Fast Campers, and this other one called Super Pacific, which is kind of the nicest. These things range from like eight to twelve grand, which is pricey. But I was thinking about like a shell is three or four grand. A rooftop tent can be three grand. Those bed racks are usually like a thousand at least. Uh, each part of it, like it just makes so much sense to just put them all together. It's basically like a shell. And it kind of goes over the cab a little bit. And the whole thing at the top is a roof top tent, which, you know, like, you know, triangles up. And then the sides of the top of it are like uh, integrated racks, like they have aluminum tracks. So you can put awnings and, and recovery boards and stuff. And then the bed, it's I mean, it's a shell. It looks like a standard shell, usually metal. It's all aluminum, but you could fold up the sides. You can fold up the back. So the whole thing is just like a skeleton. So you can run wires easily and you could load it up with fridges and, and stoves and stuff and get into your bed and put oversized stuff in it. I was just like, wow, that is like combining three or four products in just the smartest way possible. I, yeah. I can tell you all about these things, but I'm first just waiting for a, an apology that I'm not hearing. <laughs> uh, so if you want to go ahead and just do that right now. You never, 
share share my wisdom. You always want a regular shell, like a fiberglass shell. Oh, no. that's the, that was the other thing. The Go Fast Camper, I think it's like 250 pounds, which is about the weight of like a fiberglass shell. Okay, first of all, I never said I wanted like a Lear topper on these things. <laughs> that's that's what, never what I've been saying. You always said you wanted to get a like, truck shell and sleep in the back. Yeah, well, that's what I said. But oh, you, that's the other thing. The other thing is like it's it, it uh, decreases your footprint because there's no ladder. You just go in through the bed of the truck, like in so you don't have a big God ladder hanging idiot. down. God, I have been so saying smart. this. I have been showing you mine <laughs> for five years that I had on the Tacoma. So here's the deal: that this category started in the '70s. There was a company yeah. whose name I am forgetting, but they had a fiberglass camper shell with a flip-out tent. They were in high, high demand. Uh, even up through the 2000s, people, if you found them, uh, you'd usually have to rebuild the tent, but, but people would do it. And the, that, their original model, it flipped out over the cab and the, and the hood. Uh, so your footprint on the ground was super tiny. There were some logistical or like physical problems about why that turned out to not be good. About eight years ago, a company out of Prescott, Arizona called AT Overland built a product called the Habitat. And I bought the Habitat. I pre-ordered it. Uh, and what it was, was an aluminum, uh, uh, like a, like a solid aluminum corners. Then they had like kind of a, a waffle frame with aluminum skin, uh, oh, yeah. closed it up and, and then they did the same for the, the roof. Um, I had unit number eight, um, wow. and it, uh, was one of the best things I've ever bought in my entire life. And every time I telling you like, or I've said on the show, hey, when I slept in the Tacoma, I slept in the Tacoma for like a hundred nights, you know, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. That's what I was in. I was oh, in nice. one of these like flip out tents. Now the AT Habitat, the original design, the one I had, it flipped, you know, yeah, it sticks out over the cab a little bit. So I'd say lengthwise at the top, the tent part is like folded up, maybe let's call it eight feet. And then it flips 180 degrees and then the tent is, you know, 16 feet long. It's a giant tent. And so you have a room at the tent part where it's flipped out and that's where your bed and mattress is. And then your bed becomes a room as well. So AT Habitat, uh, AT Overland built that. Yeah. They continue to build the Habitat. They built, wow. uh, they, uh, they had done them for Jeeps for a little while too, but I don't think they sold very well. They stopped making them. They do them for midsize and full-size trucks. And then they have a couple other models now that instead of doing the big long flip out, which is still my preference, they have ones that just pop right up. So yeah. you don't have as much room, but they're easier to kind of like set up and you take down. Look at their website right now. The Gladiator one is insane with these double trusses and like, it looks like it extends 12 feet. Like this is I a have, monster. I tent. have flipped mine out. Uh, Crystal ran a trail race in Colorado one time, and uh, and I was just you know driving around because uh, I'm sure shit not running a trail race. And uh, we camped at a, a spot on uh, I want to say the Missouri, not Missouri River, some river, uh, where I pulled up the back of the truck to the edge of a cliff, uh, <laughs> a, a small cliff to be clear, under the water. And we put the tent out and we slept over the river that night. It was one of the coolest things we've ever gotten to do. Uh, but they, AT uh, Overland, uh, Mario Donovan, all those guys cannot say enough good things about them. I've actually been to Overland East with them because I had one of the only vehicles on the East Coast. Uh, and so when they were going to show, they were like, hey, can you just drive down from New York and, and uh, you know hang out with us for a couple of days? Great guys, really awesome, great products. Then a few years ago, let's call it five-ish, uh, GoFast showed up on the scene. And mm -hmm. GoFast made a couple of, they are improvements, but it depends on what you're trying to do. 
they they did the space frame version, right? Which yeah. is like, all right, you got you got four corners of your bed. They've got like a steel space frame, space frame, or it may be aluminum, but it's strong. And then they have the panels that go around, and they had done a wedge camper that that levered from the the pivoted from the the front. Not mm-hmm. as much room, but right. very tight design, uh, very easy to take on and off. The the AT Habitat was basically impossible to take off without a lot of you know hoist and work and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Although it was still only three hundred pounds or something when yeah, it's yeah. all said and done. Um, GoFast went nuts as a business. Like GoFast yeah. made more than they could possibly do. I don't know those guys. Everything I've heard about them, though, is that they're very smart and cool and clever. And in fact, they're apparently uh, doing so well even through the pandemic that they're getting ready to launch a whole new set of things. Yeah. They also had made short uh, for a short amount of time the rooftop tent that I miss. I wish I would have bought, which was like a twelve hundred dollar super light. They called it. Uh, that was like. 80 pounds and you know not a lot of padding not a lot of room but it was just like this cheap modular thing you can't they something happened in the manufacturing i don't know what what happened but they didn't sell them uh for a while uh and then yeah now you're seeing a bunch of other companies take them uh that model i cannot say enough like that's 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 the sweet spot like you can still use your truck as a truck for the most part. Yeah. Like you can still put your tailgate down. You obviously lose some verticality. Um, you've got tons of room when you're in there. The setup is super easy. Setup for the, the my AT habitat was like two minutes, maybe like yeah. just no time at all. Takedown is a little longer. You got to stuff in the sides, just like all rooftop tent kind of things. I'd say call it ten minutes. But. Uh, I love these things and I cannot yeah. recommend them enough, whether you got an AT Habitat or Super Pacific or any of these ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Matt Honan, actually, a friend of the show, yeah. uh, current editor in chief of uh, MIT's uh, Technology <laughs> Review Magazine, yeah. uh, just got one for his Tacoma that's relatively oh, nice. similar. And in fact, we should tag him when we put the show up and have him put up some pictures. Yeah. Uh, these, th- that, these are the thing. Like, these are so oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Like I uh so yeah. I'm like a, I'm one. like one of those uh, young idiots you give good advice to and I'm just not old enough to to accept it or realize it. But you yeah. never you've never listened to me. I've, I, I've given you I just didn't know what you were talking about till I saw like a really in-depth review. I would say this uh I'll link a super Pacific. It looks like you know, these people looked at GoFast and then iterated on every annoying part of it, like to make them a little bit better. It looks like a hybrid of the really overbuilt AT Overland one and a go. F- it's like kind of in the middle. It looks yeah. it looks great though. Uh, before we move on, I do have to throw in one thing. Uh, there has also been a uh, uh, run of folks out of the Tacoma World Forums, I believe, is where it started. Um, I was turned on to it by a fella named Cheat Lines on Twitter. Uh, one a, a, a really a good follow, first of all, but also uh, just a, a cool cool person I met on Twitter. Uh, there's a whole community of people building the same style, call it a go fast style, uh, rooftop tent by hand using 80, 20, like the, the, the aluminum mm-hmm. extruded, uh, kind of systems yeah. and, and sewing their own tents and stuff and effectively making the same thing, uh, or very close to it for like, call it two grand, maybe three grand. So i we can throw a link in the show notes for that as well. But, uh, just wanted to throw that in there too. So this, you know, there is an option if you're handy and, don't yeah. have 10 grand that's kind plus of what to I'm, throw on it. That's what camper. I'm planning to do all weekend was I found uh, 
Uh, so I went on this bike trip. It was like the first night was like 35 degrees and I had a 20 degree bag and I was sleeping on the ground uh, in a tent <laughs> and uh, I got so sick. I was already like nursing a sickness, like getting over like a quick flu, like a 24 hour flu. And it's just like, oh, uh, I was I was kicking myself that I didn't just sleep in my car. <laughs> so it it like my, as soon as I got back, I was like, I got super sick, you know, like almost walking pneumonia from basically being out in the elements for too long and I should have just slept my car, but it sucks. So I looked I around. I remind and, you that you <laughs> just in the very last podcast episode were talking I'll about never how do you this. only like ground tents. You yeah, don't yeah. understand why people have rooftop tents. Yeah. And not one week later, you're going to buy a, a rooftop tent and a camper shell. Yeah. And I support it. <laughs> well, so I found a middle ground, which was uh, pull out the third row seats on my GX and then um, you know, there's it was like fifteen hundred to seventeen hundred bucks for like platform and drawer systems that kind of you can turn into a flat bed that's like you know full size, almost queen size. But then I found like this there's this company or I guess it's sort of loose collective of people probably from forums that put it together called uh, GX Basecamp, and they just made like uh, get these extruded aluminum rails from these standard like aluminum suppliers, um, you know, build this deck at this height and you'll get a perfectly flat, you know, the entire back half of your car. When you fold down the second row seats, uh, you get a perfectly flat, like queen bed in your car. And it was like, they had a one click order for all the pre-cut aluminum for 300 bucks. So Sick. I was like, dang. And then it was like 50 bucks in plywood that I already got cut at like a Lowe's. So uh, it's supposed to show up. All my parts are supposed to show up today, and then I'm going to build it all weekend. And, yeah, and I found a sleeping pad that's, like, queen size that fits perfectly on it. And, like, next time I'm out in the elements and cold, I'm going to sleep inside my car and not get sick. It's the best. Uh, I will throw one in uh, last uh, recommendation for Overland Expo. Um, I've been to a couple of East. I've been to West once or twice. I can't remember. Uh, good group of people. The people that put it together are good. Uh, most of the people that show up are good. It is not a uh, it is not a huge show uh, compared to yeah SEMA for certainly or anything like that. My recommendation though is if you are thinking about getting into Overland stuff, one it's awesome because you can go see people's builds and they're not all brand new builds. Like in fact, some of the coolest things you'll see are cars that have done real Overlanding. Uh, you know, down to Terra, Tierra del Fuego and yeah, back yeah. or whatever. Uh, and then people just drove them to over in the expo, which is the whole point. Uh, but there's, they do a bunch of classes as well, uh, mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, as much as I'd like to pretend I knew a lot of that stuff and uh, I didn't. And, and the, you know, there's some stuff that I'll never use. There's some like how to build a bridge out of logs you fell with your chainsaw. <laughs> like it's probably not going to be, it's, that's probably not going to be me. Uh, but I actually, uh, it's a, it's a good scene uh go in with like kind of expectation to do camping and you know it's not like real plush and and nor should it be uh but but i think it's a good show to go to i i'd recommend it and yeah uh, and let me know for you if you're going to go to one uh, uh west i may i may try to go meet you there i think there's one in july in bend so there's gonna be like a mini oregon overland expo -y thing that i'm gonna go to but yeah i was like if i really wanted to go to this one actually the guys who made my bumpers and stuff that I live nearby where they went and they had a car there. Uh, I would say the only thing I would say is problematic about the uh, Overland Expo is like whoever, who is it? Earth Mover or somebody was there. Earth Roamer. 
Earth Roamer, yeah, with nothing but like five hundred to eight hundred thousand dollar builds, like Unimogs and these like vans that you're gonna take, you know, Paris Dakar racing or something, like just crazy over the top with a shower with heating with solar, like these monster ve- like I mean that's I mean I'm more into like, you know, DIY. Here's a guy who made a better shackle for recovery for fifty bucks versus, you know, an eight hundred thousand dollar, you know, Mercedes rig you could live out of um but yeah, yeah. i don't know if i'd call it problematic per se, <laughs> yeah yeah but, that's a bit uh, much like you know it's just like uh, it's just weird it's just a little like huh yeah earth roamer is such an interesting company they've been around for a long time and they that was their model from day one and i and i think they kind of pioneered some of it but uh they're they're a lot like they're the equivalent of like a prevost or uh what like the really high-end rv bus companies oh, yeah 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 where it's yeah. like Wow, it's dope that like somebody made a million dollar bus, but like right. uh, the only people that can afford them are mega rich people. Saudi princes. <laughs> like I was you know, like, you know what, you know who, uh, and I. I, I, I do I, know one person who has an Earth Roamer. I, I, I was gonna say we probably. I know a couple of people that have had them because they're also very common that people buy them for like a year and then pass them <laughs> on because the the resale value is good. Uh, but it's usually tech bros yeah. who have like sold a company or something. Yeah. Maybe we know like, the same one. Uh, yeah, it's entirely possible. <laughs> I uh, do know a former CEO who has one. Yeah, I, so I don't hate them and I think they're well built for what they are, I mean, but yeah. also like you can have the same damn experience uh, to like the 99th percentile uh, for like a 10th of the price. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I feel like, yeah. I feel like it's like going to a, a local air show where there's nothing but Cessnas and then there's a, you know, I don't know, where are those like G80 like private jet company shows up to go, hey, here's what, two, you know, 200 million gets you versus like all these guys with $20,000 planes. That's what it felt like when I was watching these videos. I would just fast forward over the uh, Earth Roamer parts because everyone will cover the Earth Roamers. They're like, look at this thing. It's the biggest thing here. It's the craziest thing here. And he was like, ugh. <laughs> I've got a, a few little things I just want to bang through real quick. Yeah, lightning uh, round. So uh, there, uh, The Verge did a review, we'll put a link in, of Cake's uh, electric scooter moped that they're sort of oh. positioning as a, if a truck were a bike. <laughs> now, I'm a big fan of Cake, uh, Scandinavian, I believe Swedish, uh, yeah. like electric motorcycle It's like a $10,000 electric motorcycle, kind of square. This one's yeah, like beefy. The, des- the industrial design is super cool, or at yeah. least super cool. To, it's it's to my taste, let's put it that way. <laughs> I but don't the, know what the use case is for this particular thing, but I mean, step one is live in Europe, you know? Yeah. like. Uh, but uh, the design looks really nice. We'll put in a link to it. Uh, I think it's really cool. It's It's like the Homer car from Simpsons, but as a fat bike. It's very funny. Yeah. And also Cake, as cool a company as they are, uh, they're very expensive. You can get a lot of Chinese knockoffs or, you know, even van moves and things like that for, you know, way, way less. But if you're into design, uh, that's cool. (laughs) Speaking of design, uh, uh, Torchinsky and, uh, 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 oh my God, David Tracy, Sorry, David. Uh, the, the Autopian has a column that's been coming through, and the last one uh, that's from an auto designer uh, was how I would design a modern cab over pickup truck. <laughs> uh, it's a very, I mean, the Autopian's killing it. Like, the content's yeah. really, really good. Like, my only complaint is I would like more. So, you know, and I'm sure they'd like to make more. So, 
but I really liked this because not only did he just sit down and sketch uh, uh, a design for a modern cab over truck, and for those that don't know what a cab over is, cab over is cab effectively, over yeah, cab over the engine. Uh, you would recognize it if you saw it. It's usually where you do see them now are like Mitsubishi Fusos and like older design, like uh you know, cargo trucks and things like that. Yeah. They're very infrequently made or sold in the United States because a lot of them don't pass uh, crash <laughs> regulation and safety. Yeah, there's no uh, safety. Jeep did back in the 60s, I believe. Oh, yeah, they the uh, yeah. That was super cool and yeah. still highly in demand. A aesthetically, they're gorgeous. Well, gorgeous is strong, but like they're very cool. Uh, and so this guy did it. But what I liked about what he did is he did one version and then he was like, well, then if you were thinking about it this way, you would do it this yes, way. And then he did another. Yeah. And so, super I love cool the idea for a uh, piece. <laughs> the super sporty one at the bottom just screams Australian Ute and I love it. That's yeah. a that's the same thought I had. I was like, I was like, first of all, I hate this. And second of all, this looks like something that Aussies would like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Although I love the first one with the drop down bedsides. Like, oh my God, I love the like, what do they call it? A doka, like the. VW bus with the fold down truck bed in yep. it. Like I always thought that was a great design thing that why hasn't anyone else done? I would say in the over in the Overland videos, you'll see a lot of Australian flatbed manufacturers are getting dealers in America now to oh, sell. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I really, I, I mean, I would say this is like beyond the go fast camper when you replace the bed with something that has you know the sides flip down, the sides store stuff like. It has better clearance in the back. I was just like, oh my God, this is also, I mean, those things have to be 20, 30 grand, but like kind of amazing. So there is a, a style of, uh, of uh, I guess you'd still call them an Overland truck, but, it, but definitely an Australian style build, mm -hmm. which is you replace the, the truck bed with uh, uh, an aluminum, typically flatbed. Yeah. And then they make, I don't know what they're called, but but they're like pods effectively yeah. that are the height of the cab. It's like yeah. the cab's extended out, but they they bolt onto the bed. And and I think some people make them where they have some sleeping quarters, but they're generally more for storage. Mm -hmm. And then often in the classic version of this, you'll see behind those pods there will be a couple of uh, full size tire, full size spare yeah. mounts. Yeah. Uh, I've always liked that stuff. I think, uh, and Australian stuff is kind of the premium in Overland. Like, yeah. uh, arguably, they that that culture and landscape pioneered uh, high end Overlanding stuff. Yeah. A lot of heavy duty Toyota, smaller amount. Of they Land invented stuff. the Max tracks, like. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's the it's, you can't come for the Australians when it comes to to off-road stuff. But they there have been a few companies, Alucab, I believe is is yeah. Australian. There's been some dealers here in the US for a few years, but I just the importation, I mean, I just literally shipping these things. Yeah. It, it has always put them out of my, you know, consideration range. I will say this though, and and it, you know, I talk a big game, uh, but to me the dream has been for a while uh, on my next build is to rip off is to do a is to do an east meets west a ring of fire build which is an aluminum bed so yeah. that you can get the floor and the width and the boxes in that you would like a yeah. little bit more like a like a work truck style like yeah, instead yeah. of a fear and then to put your go fast or yeah, ATD yeah. habitat on that. Yeah. So you've got all of your stuff built in. You're not yeah. losing the space for the the, the bedsides yeah. that are more aesthetic. 
and uh, and uh, I, it's totally a good idea, and I may do it. But if I do go that route, I will one hundred percent have to DIY it because nobody makes it. And if they did, oh no, I they yeah it. no. I would say these are the Australian things coming in are like full beds with like um, you know they're they're always like a foot or two wider, you know, because um, having locking storage boxes on the side of a bed is like a no brainer to me now. <laughs> like, why doesn't like Ford sell? You know, I know Dodge has, the uh, Ram has those like bed boxes, but you know, when you see like, oh man, I mean, they're just, yeah, it's like better performance. It's lighter than the steel bed, you know, and then you get the camp. Yeah, there, there are like, I mean, I'm sure they're like 30 grand or something, but there are integrated sort of like whole beds with tons of storage with a flatbed area that you can build out, but also like rooftop tent stuff incorporated. Uh, I haven't seen any of the prices on them, but yeah, I guess they're aluminum and they're going to be, you know guess they still have to pay for shipping you know well and they can't break them down right so it's yeah. like uh, this is going to be a shipping container filled with what four or six or something that's you know, right. from australia like, and shipping container cost has gone in the last skyrocket. two years from <laughs> yeah. like 10 two. grand to like 30 grand yeah you know it's uh yeah i think I, yeah the, still. the cheapest uh i think was two or two to four grand was the cheapest like send a container from china now they're running about 20 grand um but yeah, yeah, like so. I think there are there are some systems for that. Now I was watching a video where it was like someone in like state of Washington or something became like a dealer for these Australian giant beds, and they look they look great. I like well, like if you're as, gonna go all in, that's pretty good. As I do for almost all my purchases, I am very excited to hear that a bunch of rich people will be buying <laughs> these things because it means in two they'll to be three years cheaper version. Yeah. They'll be tired of them, and yeah. they will sell them, uh, and I will wait until they're down on their luck. <laughs> And I will pounce, and maybe one of these will be uh, mine. But uh, until then, uh, it's not going to happen. Oh, I also I didn't put it in the notes, but uh, I, I did text you about it. The 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 cool truck I saw this week mm -hmm. is oh, yeah. for the third time that Eddie Bauer eighty nine <laughs> Bronco uh, Bronco Sport I think is the designation. Yeah, it's a regular it. Bronco. I thought it was a Bronco too. So the guy put it on Facebook. I was uh, I was on Facebook Marketplace looking for something, and it just and Facebook fed it to me because I he was close to me. Uh, and I I swear I I went around the corner the other day, like yesterday, and I saw it parked like maybe an eighth of a mile from my house. Like Jesus. just like he's around. So uh, in the post, uh, as you commented, which I thought was very very funny, his post was basically like. Hey, I'm thinking about getting rid of this. I would like to trade it for something sporty, like a sports car. Let me know what you've got. And there was one picture of it. Yeah. And it was like, and, and, you know, DM me if you want more pictures. And it's like, it's definitely not one. Those are one of two things. Always. It's a piece of shit and I'm hiding pictures from you <laughs> or what I think is in this case, I don't this thing care. is, this thing is kick ass and you know, it's kick ass. And so like, I'm not even going to go through the effort to really try to sell it. Yeah. But I did, I did DM him and I said, Hey man, I don't have anything to trade you, you know, but you have a ballpark of what you're looking to get for it. Uh, and he said, uh, around 20. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which I think is very fair to be yeah. honest. It's not, it's more than I can afford to spend I think it's on niche. something that's not a pickup, <laughs> yeah. but, um, like, uh, it had been fully restored eight years ago. Uh, I can't remember what engine he said. I think it was an engine swap as well. But the main thing was that he'd switched from a four speed automatic to a five speed 
manual. Never which available in a full size. Was Bronco, never ever, available. Uh, yeah. Which I'm sure in Bronco Land, there's a bunch of people that are like, "Oh my God, that's amazing." I do not give a shit because yeah. I don't really like manual trucks. But uh, good for him, and that's yes. cool. Yeah, that's a that's a weird it's a that's a weird flex in the four x four community, especially in rock crawler world. That like. Uh, I love a manual in a sports car, and I don't see the point of having one giant more thing to worry about failing on the trail. Uh, like the only how you, argument, how you abuse your clutch, like uh, yeah. The only argument that I've ever seen made credibly, uh, and this is a point of contention. I, I, you know, it's like there's plenty of people that nobody's wrong here. Let's put it. Yeah, that yeah, way. yeah. But uh, the people that build proper crawler like rock crawler vehicles that put in crawler gears and yeah. and differentials. Three I can, transfer cases. They often have like 14 forward speeds. Yeah, exactly. I can understand in that situation if they're like, I like having a manual because I like knowing, I like to be able to control exactly what my torque ratios yeah. are going to be at any given point. But those are also the people that have such low range that they can put uh, their truck in gear and, and not and and walk away and <laughs> yeah. and it just you know and they're basically just steering and pointing and I'm again not denigrating their skills or or whatever I'm just saying it's a big difference between that and a and a you know road oriented five or six speed transmission where uh, yeah you're feathering the clutch half the day because you're trying to get a you know, I got to go six inches forward. Then I got to go to reverse. And I got to go six inches here. Oh, well, I, oh, I'm going fast enough. I got to get into second. Oh no, not anymore. Like, let me get back first. I, uh, I don't get it. I don't, it doesn't seem fun to me. I don't get the appeal, but yeah, some guys, uh, <laughs> I feel like, like it's a, uh, look how difficult I can make life for myself and still make it. I think it's just, yeah. The, and that is not, like, I, I am a Epicurean when it comes to, uh, you know, my adventure sports, like, can yeah. I make this as safe and easy as possible? Right. Yeah. Uh, my favorite truck was, uh, I went to a low rider show, like low rider magazine, official nationwide Hell, show. Yeah. That's awesome. Why didn't and, we start talking about that? Yeah. I like, it was bizarre. So it was in Portland. Uh, it cost, I just walked up. I couldn't order the tickets online because I just went the day of. It was only a one-day event. I was like, this is weird. And it's in the weird pocket of the convention center. I go, it was $55 for an entry ticket, which oh, man. was, I was I was expecting 20 bucks. Uh, so I paid it. I go in and yeah, it just it felt a little tense. There was about 300 cars, um, just insane paint jobs. Uh, so many like trailered, you know, pinstriped frames and gold uh anodized like brake parts i've never seen the road but i'm here for it i, yeah, love I, that I loved it i just loved all of it it was just so insane and hydraulic stuff all over the place but yeah I'll, uh... I, I i think we may have said it before but I'll, I'll go to my grave saying it uh i don't think there is a better in all of car and truck and custom you know world i don't think there's a better example of creativity engineering and and like just all around polished than the lowrider community, whether it's trucks yep. or anything else. Yep. Like, uh, obviously, largely a Hispanic uh, culture thing, but uh, you know, a lot of other people kind of around the periphery. Uh, just, I, I, I was at a, I was at a, was it a Mecham auction? I can't remember some big <laughs> auction I went to one time, 
And they had like, a, you know, that's where they're selling, you know, it's the 67 Camaro, but they yeah. only had this version and they're like 200 uh, miles on it. And they had a little lowrider section over there. And I've been, I've been to other like dedicated lowrider shows too, but they had a little yeah. lowrider section there. And it was just like every single one of those cars was more interesting and cool yeah. and unique and yep. well put together and, and well planned out. Yeah. In all of the almost everything else. So I mean, they invented yeah. like I mean, lowrider culture. Yeah, I mean, it's largely like it's marginalized people inventing things themselves for the last 50, 70 years. Like all the hydraulic stuff is mind boggling. And like, you know, air suspension comes directly out of that culture. Uh, there were cars on air at the lowrider show, but like the paint jobs, the crate, the metal flake, you know, every 60s cool thing you saw in a muscle car was done on a lowrider first. And like these families that spend like a hundred thousand dollars on a Cadillac paint job and like, you know, mirrors and gold, like it's so great. It's so insane. And so like velour, they kind of came up with like the insane interiors of the seventies. Yeah. They do everything. No, no part. And it's like they invented so many parts of car culture, but because it's, you know, you know, it's not mainstream enough or it's mostly a Latin culture that like, yeah, people ignore it. I saw what I still think is to this day, it, I mean, it, it's among the coolest, but it, it's just as far as like a mind blowing thing. I saw, I think it might've been at that same show. I saw, it was probably a, like a very late sixties or early seventies or maybe slightly late seventies. Cause it, I don't think it had the, the curved glass at the back, but it was a Riviera, a Buick Riviera. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was down to the metal. Yeah. And they had taken a, an engraving tool. Uh huh. Yeah. And inscribed, uh, like, you know, uh, Day of the Dead kind of like uh, Catholic imagery in relief in every panel of the car. Yeah. Like yep. it must have been thousands of hours of work in yeah. a car, and it <laughs> was it was like something you'd see out of like a. a I don't know, like a a custom gun manufacturer. Yeah, that I mean, it, it, yeah. yeah, it was like something you'd see on like a like a like a Japanese RPG sword. You know, it was yeah, just like yeah. this thing where it's like, you know, how do you get gothic and how do you get like oh, like just this intense like feeling of 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 uh, of craftsmanship and ornateness. My my ongoing story of never getting a Rivian is like there's the first video ever. I don't know why Rivian Rivian gave a manufactured vehicle to I Justine and her sister to drive to Yosemite and back from LA and like okay. both I'll of them it. put up videos and they're pretty it just looks like it's the first time I've ever seen the uh, SUV in the flesh uh and uh, uh, fortunately the entire back folds down completely flat making it easy to sleep inside already from the factory but yeah it just looks like a really solid piece of uh, engineering Where are you in your purchase um, I just logged in the other day and it said, don't call us, we'll call you. Uh, but it said, uh, I think it was still projected for like uh, July to September, but we're already in June now. So like, what the hell? Um, let me see. I'm logging in now. What to expect next? We'll contact you to confirm your configuration, discuss next steps before your delivery date. You'll, you'll secure financing insurance and arrange for a trade-in, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it used to have a giant, you know, your thing is going to come now uh it turns out i've heard i ordered it with like a light interior like a sand colored like 
uh, almost a white. Just, I respect that. I was like, this is crazy. This is a crazy car. Yeah, this has white seats. I was like, I don't want to get hot in the sun, and this is a crazy car. Might as well get a white interior. I've heard the white interiors are pushing them back like six months already. Like they haven't built a single one yet, but people had been, you know, reserving them two years ago with it. So I think maybe that's why, you know, it looks like my date is completely dropped off of my thing. So who will get their truck first? The guy that ordered it two years ago. Uh, from a car company that's never shipped a truck before, or me, the guy that's waiting for a car, uh, a truck developed that, by Ford, developed by Ford yeah. that hasn't been announced yet and may not actually uh, exist at all. Like it's it's a it's a question for the ages. Yeah, it's just the never-ending story for me. Uh, but yeah, it's nice to see an actual built one moving around. So who knows when they'll come out? But they exist. Not yet in people's hands, but at least <laughs> in, I, in I Justine's uh, hands, they they for made one weekend one. she got to borrow it. Yes, uh, yeah, good for good for her. All right, man. Uh, I think we've knocked it out. Uh, uh, I'll I'll uh, <laughs> that was me trying to end the show. Was that good? <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, uh, talk to you later. <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs> See you around. You. <laughs> yeah, sweetie. <laughs> thank you.